reading from the 15th chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, beginning with the 35th verse. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is alike, but there is one flesh for human beings, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are both heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one thing, and that of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. Indeed, star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, That first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust... A brief pause as I get my page unstuck. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord 
your labor is not in vain. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's a word, a phrase, not a phrase because it's not more than one word. It's an acronym. You might have heard someone say it. Specifically, you might have heard a teenager say it or a tweenager, those kids that are not quite teenagers but aren't elementary school students. And it's spelled Y-O-L-O. You ever heard that before? What am I saying? What is it? YOLO. YOLO. People say that when they're about to do something stupid. That's, that is the foremost instance of the word YOLO. It's like the Jeff Foxworthy joke. When somebody says something, you say, well, here, hold my beer while I do that stupid thing you were talking about, right? It, it's akin to that. It's the teenage version of that. It's also said when you're about to do something dangerous or something fun, and you know you could get in trouble for it, or you could lose something for it, or you could get injured, and the saying is, you only live once. And so they say, YOLO. You only live once. Well, the Apostle Paul is putting an anchor on that idea for us. And not in the way that we might think. Paul is not speaking here of dying and going to heaven. He's not speaking of us being redeemed from our bodies. But rather, he's speaking of the redemption of our bodies. And that is a clear distinction and something that the church has forgotten. Because very often, any time we talk about Jesus to someone, our first and foremost thing that we're thinking about is convincing them about Jesus so that they can die and go to heaven. Which isn't entirely what Christianity is about. For we inherit from Isaiah the idea of a new heaven and a new earth. Which is pulled over into 2 Peter and in the book of Revelations where the greatest worship ever will not occur in some faraway heaven but at the throne of Christ in a new earth. Paul is speaking of embodiment, not of ghosts. When we affirm our faith using the Apostles' Creed, I have some colleagues who suggest that most of us don't really mean it, that we're just saying those words as rote expressions because we've heard them for so long. And I wonder, just for a moment, think to yourself, when you say those words, do they register? Do you think about what you're saying? Are you in touch with what you're affirming? Because in part of that, you're affirming not just the continuation of the soul of a human being after death. You're affirming the resurrection of the body. For me, I'm not merely saying words in a rote manner. These are things that I believe, and if I didn't believe them, I wouldn't have any business standing here leading you in that creed. Would I? I don't think so. Remember Paul said to us two weeks ago that he has handed on to the Corinthian church and to us that which is first, of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, or Peter as we know Him more often, and then to the twelve, and He appeared to more than 500 at one time. And so we say in response to those witnesses, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was crucified, dead, and buried. 
Because that is what has been handed down to us from the eyewitnesses through many, many voices and ears and hands and feet who have gone out and proclaimed the good news of Christ. That Christ died for our sins according to Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised. And Paul says this is of first importance. And later in the creeds, it's followed by the third day He rose. If we use the Nicene Creed, we also echo Paul's confirmation of first things. Listen to what it says. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became truly human. For our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried, and on the third day He rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. Do you see the pattern? For this reason, because Christ has been raised, we can live in the confident hope that sin and death are defeated, that their overturn is certain, that the day will come when even our bodies will not be subject to their torture and their restraint. In fact, because Jesus has been raised, Paul tells us the whole of creation is being made new. You find that in Romans 8. And that's why Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians that if any person is in Christ, that person is a new creation. In verse 20 of chapter 15, we read it last week, Paul said this, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. If you've ever had a fruit tree in your yard... You've known the excitement of seeing that first ripe fruit on it because you know that the rest of them are coming. Especially if it's a fig tree because there's nothing better than a fig right off the tree when it's ripe. Some of y'all are shaking your head. No, you're just wrong. The first fruits of those who have died. Other translations of the Scriptures will say of those who have fallen asleep And that's a literal translation of the New Testament Greek word koimaiomai that Paul uses because for Paul, because Christ has been raised, death has become nothing but sleep for us. Something that we will be awakened from. Paul's proclamation was that Christ has been raised And that this is the first fruit of resurrection. That He is that first fruit. That God's act of awakening the dead begins in Jesus. In those necros. Necros is the word that Paul uses for the dead. And it's where we get the prefix necro that we have all other kinds of words that go after it. Most of them are disgusting. But it has to do with things that deal with the dead body. The corpse like necrophilia. People who are in love with corpses. There are people who have that mental disease. Necro. Paul's not speaking about some metaphorical thing only. He's speaking about the literal dead corpse of Jesus was raised from the dead. It was raised from that state and made alive. And obviously the question that people might then ask is what in the world is that going to look like? Right? And then some would say, what about those who are dead in the sea? What about those who are being cremated? What about those? What about these? And what about those? 
And our limitation is that we haven't yet embraced the power of God who could form a man from the dust in the first place and breathe into that man the breath of life. Remember the story in Ezekiel about the man who went out and saw the valley of dry bones and asked the Lord, can these bones live again? The answer was yes. And that was a metaphor for Israel, but it's also a metaphor for all of creation, that eventually all of creation will be released from the torture and the frustration of sin and death. That day is coming, Paul would remind us. That first, of first importance, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised. And secondly, because of that, your life is not futile. You are not dead flowers on a dusty vanity. You are not meaningless. You are not left behind in futility. If you have faith in Christ, then your life will be restored as well. Though you die, yet you live, Jesus said. Whoever believes in me will never die, but have eternal life. He was speaking of that day of resurrection, when the time will come, when he will return, and as Paul says, the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised. That's in 1 Thessalonians 4. The second fruit of resurrection. When you see the first fruit, you know that the second is coming. When we look to Christ's resurrection, we can have faith that we too will be raised. That our bodies are not abandoned to death and decay and destruction. But we're still left in the question, what in the world would that look like? Is the preacher talking about walking dead? Right? That show? The zombie apocalypse? No. Paul gives us a metaphor to wrap our heads around it. It says a grain of wheat or other grain falls into the ground and dies and the body comes up, right? The plant comes up. It doesn't look like the grain of wheat, but it's still connected to it. For instance, if you wanted to plant radishes, everybody with me? Y'all don't want to plant radishes? We can plant radishes, that's okay? Okay, let's plant a radish. We get a radish seed. It's a tiny little thing, right? Tiny, tiny little seed. And you put it in the ground. And what grows from it? A radish plant. But you still call it a radish, don't you? Likewise, we still call the stalk wheat. Paul wants us to know that he's not talking about some horror show, some science fiction kind of thing. He's talking about the power of God to rearrange the dust of the earth into something new that's not subject to the futility of death. Remember, Paul gave us the idea that sin came into the world and death followed with it, and so death came to all people. So he tells us in this text that as death came to all people through the first man, Adam, through the second Adam, because Adam means man, literally, through the second Adam, Jesus, life comes to all people. It requires a resurrection because we're already dead. All we have without Christ is death. It's only in Christ that we have life. And remember he said we would have it abundantly? Jesus is speaking there of an eternal life that's not subject to the futility of destruction of sin and death. 
And Paul is merely echoing that. He's saying to us here in chapter 15, of first importance is that Christ has died according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised according to the Scriptures. And that was for us and for our salvation, as the Nicene Creed says. And the sign to us that that is true is Christ's resurrection. And then secondly, of second importance, he would say to us, your life is not futile if your faith is in Christ. That even death is not futile before it's merely falling asleep and waiting to be awakened by a trumpet. By the call of Christ. When we gather to lay a saint to rest, we remember the words from 1 John when John says, Here and now, dear, children, dear ones, we are the children of God. But what we will be, we don't yet know. But when He appears, we will be like Him. That's what Paul is pushing us toward. That Jesus is the first fruit of the planted body raised up and that we will be the second and what we will become is like Jesus. That just as we bear in ourselves the image of the first man, the fallen nature, the sinful nature. I heard one say, someone say to me one time that they didn't believe that children had sinful natures and I knew right then that person had never had a three-year-old. Just as we inherit the sinful nature from Adam, so we inherit the imperishable nature from Christ, the eternal nature, the very life of God. And it means that our whole being must be changed, body, soul, and spirit. We're not just being redeemed from our bodies. Plutarch and Plato taught that. That when we die, our soul escapes the body and goes home to heaven and that we get caught in a circle where we come back down and get trapped in a body again. And the body is bad and the spirit is good, but that's not Paul's language. Paul is speaking about the carnal nature, the sinful nature, that that is bad. But that the body itself is sacred to God and so it too will be changed. And I think his hint is to us, you see this all the time when you plant grain. And maybe he would say to us, you see it when a butterfly caterpillar goes into its cocoon and emerges a butterfly. Or maybe he would say, you see it when the daffodils come up from the ground. Or when a radish plant arises from a dead seed. The same transformation God will work in us. At the end of this age, when it is time for us to inhabit the new heaven and the new earth, Paul says that those who are dead in the Lord will return with Christ and that Christ will raise, will raise the dead. The resurrection of the body is central to Christian doctrine. It's not something that exists behind the important idea that in death we are with Christ and safe in Christ. It is the culmination of what Jesus is doing. That there will be a new heaven, a new earth, a new David, a new Laura, a new Lucille, a new Barry. That that day is coming. 
And because of that, we can live without the myth that this life is all there is. That it's all about YOLO and getting what we want now. We can live in the hope that there's something more. We can go out with Paul and proclaim Christ even when they say they're going to feed us to the lions. Because we know that though they kill us, yet we will live. What will it look like when Christ raises our dead necros? Our body, our corpse? I have no idea. I have no idea. But I know what Paul called it. Paul called it a mystery. Listen to these words again. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. Some are going to die, he says. But not everyone. The time will come where Christ will come and there will be those who are dead in Christ and those who are alive in Christ. And the dead in Christ will be changed and so will those who are alive in Christ. We will all be transformed to reflect the image of Christ. Made in His likeness. And here's some things we know about Jesus. When He first appeared to them in the room in Luke's Gospel, they were terrified for they thought they were seeing a spirit. Remember that? And what did He tell them? Touch me. See my hands? See my feet? Do you have anything to eat? And he ate fish in front of them. He said to them, Do ghosts have flesh and bones as you see I have? But the weird thing about that is the dude like walked through a wall, right? Remember the room was locked? And then we get the kind of transference of all those stories together. We learned that in John, I think. And in John we learned that Thomas wasn't going to believe it. He said, oh no, I just, that's too much hocus pocus for me. I can't believe it. And the rest of them probably said, no, Thomas, we saw him. He said, oh, y'all saw a ghost. Y'all are imagining things. And then Jesus appeared just for Thomas. Remember that? And you might remember Jesus saying to Thomas this kind of thing of, look, Thomas, touch my side and see that it's me. But that's a kind of dumbing down of the Greek. In the Greek, what Jesus said to Thomas was, shove your hand in my side and see that it's me. Jesus' body was raised. Because it's part of God's creation that God is renewing. Your body will be raised because it's part of God's creation that God is renewing. That is the full hope of Christianity. A new heaven, a new earth, restored in the image of God, and a people restored in the image of God for the purpose of worshiping God, not as disembodied spirits, but as transformed creations of God Almighty. And to dismiss that is to dismiss the power of God. Remember when I said that where people have said, what about those people who are buried at sea? In the book of Revelation, it says that even Hades and the sea will give up the dead that are in them when Christ calls. Hold on to that line in the creed. The resurrection of the body is a glorious hope. It's not about some zombie apocalypse. It's not something that we would leave behind because it doesn't make sense. It's the same mystery as a piece of stalk of wheat or an ear of corn growing out of the ground when we stick a seed in the ground. It's the same idea that God will raise us up and transform us into something new and wonderful. And that's beautiful. 
Some people dismiss this and say, well, what Paul's talking about is we get a spirit body and that's all it is. He's just talking about our spirit when it goes off to heaven. But that's absolutely not what Paul is saying. Paul is speaking of the corpse being transformed like a grain of wheat that falls to the ground. And you might remember Jesus said that would happen to himself. Unless the kernel dies, it cannot bear fruit. Hold on to the resurrection. Yes, when we pass from this life, we are present to Christ, whatever that looks like. Present with Him, loving Him, and seeing Him face to face, just as we've always been told. But there is more to come. That is not the end. There will be what the Bible calls the great and glorious coming of the Lord. The day of God. The day of the Lord. The day of renewal. When all things will be made new. That, dear ones, is the full shape of the good news of Jesus Christ. That even our lowly bodies will be transformed. Amen.